Uh, as we look at God's Word today, we're con- kind of continuing the You Ask For It series, although this is a question I actually ask myself. This isn't one of the ones you guys suggested, but it kind of follows from some of the things that we talk- have talked about in the- this You Asked For It series, where you guys submitted questions and we've been answering them uh, as a staff. And that question is, what do we do when we feel abandoned by God? I want you to have a couple snapshots in your mind. First one, did you ever get lost as a child? Anybody? My story is that I got separated from my dad um, after a Seattle Mariners game at the Kingdom in Seattle. Uh, I had waited in line for um, an autograph, and we'd have made arrangements that I would meet my dad at a very particular location. Um, And unbeknownst to me, while I was in line for this autograph, the security kind of told my dad to mosey along out out of the stadium. So uh, my dad had to to leave. And so when I go back to the location where we were supposed to meet, you know, I'm about 10 years old, he wasn't there. You ever had that moment? You ever have that moment of panic as a child? You ever get lost? You ever have a sibling get lost? <laughs> Sometimes life's like that, right? We feel like a lost child. We're panicking, waiting for the person who can fix it to show up. Second snapshot. You ever have that dream? You know, the one where you're falling. And you just keep falling, and you just keep falling, and keep falling, and you all of a sudden wake up, but you never actually hit the ground. <laughs> Sometimes life feels like that, doesn't it? Where you just kind of like, is this ever, ever, ever going to stop, right? Is this ever going to end? Sometimes life feels like that. We have those moments in life where everything feels like it's falling apart, when everything just keeps getting worse. You ever felt like that? We can even feel like God is distant, or God has even abandoned us. We can even ask questions like, God, are are, are you really even there anymore? Do you, do you really even care about me? Why won't you make this stop? Are, are you really just going to leave me here, God? So we're going to talk about today is what do we do when we, when we feel like this? When we feel like God's abandoned us? When we struggle in our distress, despair? We even have doubts about God. Today we're going to look at Psalm 13. And we're going to see at least one of the examples in Scripture when someone's working through this question. So why are we, why are we choosing a psalm? Right, we've... We, 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 we go through the scriptures. We just spent time in Acts in Sunday school this morning. That was awesome. Uh, 
Why a, a psalm to talk about this? Do you know what the psalms are? They're songs. They're the hymn book of ancient Israel. They're the psalms, songs of worship of the Old Testament. They have an incredible breadth of human experience, of human emotion that is expressed in them as the people of Israel, the people of God, worshiped God. Over hundreds of years, these are written. Some are as old as Moses. Many are written by David. Others are written by the sons of Korah or Asaph. Others. They present this breadth of human emotion that oftentimes we're unwilling to do. Right? How many guys feel like emotion is like something to be scared of? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Uh, The Psalms are honest about human experience in a way that we often aren't. There are great moments of joy in the Psalms, of worship, of praise, of trust in God, of expressing great truth about God and who He is and what He's, what he's done. And there are also moments in the Psalms of great grief, of deep sorrow, of pain, questioning God, of longing that is unfulfilled, of lament. A third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. You ever think about that? Like, oftentimes we start our service, right, by, before we sing music, I, oftentimes I'll read a psalm. I, I don't often choose a psalm of lament, do I, to start us off our, on, our, on our morning, do I? But a third of the psalms are psalms of lament, whether it's individual or corporate. And so we're going to look at a psalm of lament today. A psalm that is going to help us a little bit walk through how, to, how do we even begin to deal with it when we feel like we're abandoned by God. I'm going to read the whole psalm again. So Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord 
because he has dealt bountifully with me. You hear some of the things that are going on there? Like sometimes when we see some of these Psalms of David, like that, that, that little superscript, little small type in your Bible that's all caps, that's part of the inspired text. Did you know that? That's not just something that some editor wrote in. That's inspired by God. And this tells us that this is a Psalm of David. Now, there's debate over what that actually means, whether that's David as king has people write psalms for him, you know, as a patron of the arts, or people later write psalms that are inspired by the life of David. But it's not unreasonable to think that David himself actually wrote this. We, we see in 1 Samuel that David is actually a musician, as well as a king and a warrior. He very well could have written these. When you think about that, think about the setting. If, if David wrote this, and we think about the life of David, we primarily, the first thing that most of us think of when we think of David is what? David and a big tall guy named Goliath, who goes down with a sling and a stone. Brief sketch of the life of David. Leading up to that Goliath incident, David is the youngest son of Jesse, of the tribe of Judah. He lives in a small town called Bethlehem that's not that far from Jerusalem, which at this time is actually inhabited by Canaanites, not by Israelites. The, the prophet, Judge Samuel, goes to David's house to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, to be the next king of Israel. We talked last week about how Saul was rejected as king. Um, so after that, Samuel goes to anoint a new king. And David, of all people, is chosen as, to be God's anointed king. He was so unexpected that they didn't even have him come to Samuel immediately. He was off tending the sheep. As he grows up, he goes to support his brothers who are at the battle with the Philistines. And then we have this Goliath incident where he believes that, hey, you shouldn't treat my God like this. If no one else will step forward, I will because my God is bigger than a giant. David gets quite a little bit of notoriety as a warrior over the next several years of his life where he is, becomes a favorite of Saul. Um, he's even, as a musician, he plays for the king. The king is troubled in his spirit, maybe even struggling with mental illness, and the music that David plays soothes him. But Saul has a screw loose. He knows that he's been rejected by God. He sees David's popularity. David is not only a musician, and a guy who got lucky one time, he is a great warrior. So that the people of Israel are saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And David is forced to flee and spends many years in the wilderness. He gathers men around him. But he knows that he's been anointed by God as the king. And Saul is trying to kill him 
That could be one of the possible scenarios in which this psalm could be written. The other might be later in David's life, where David has been king for many years. He's a very popular king. He's won all of his battles. And he sends the army out. He sees the wife of one of his soldiers and commits adultery with her. Her name is Bathsheba. To cover up his sin, he has her husband, Uriah, murdered. The, the child that results from that union dies. Part of God's punishment for David's sin. More punishment it follows as David's family begins to break apart and one of his sons, Absalom, kills another of his sons, Amnon, for raping his sister. Absalom rebels against David and David is forced to flee his capital for a long period of time as Israel is, or at least the army and the ones who are following Absalom are against him. That could be another scenario for this psalm. Either way, this is a period where David is writing, wondering, God, how long is this going to last? How long? This is a word, a phrase that we see often in Scripture. Um, we see it most in the Psalms. It's in the Psalms 18 times. Four of those times are in this, this passage. And David asks some really hard questions in this passage. He feels like he's losing. He feels like God's abandoning him. And the psalm tells us a little bit about how we can work through some things. You know, we're not kings, but God is still God. His people are still his people. The first thing that David does, and we see it in many of the psalms and the psalms of lament, is he's honest with God. We can be honest with God. Have you ever like, thought about that? That we can actually be honest with God? A lot of us kind of treat our sin and our despair as things that we can't really show in church, right? We're like, I can't. Like, I got to pretend like everything's okay. You ever felt like that? I felt like that. But we can be honest with God. God is not scared by our, <laughs> our mess. God is not scared by our doubts. He can take it. <laughs> and we're never going to work through these things if, we're not, if we don't start with honesty. We can be honest with God. And so David, he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? In the, in the Old Testament, this idea of forgetting and remembering is, is something that's not just cognitive. I don't know if you guys know me long enough, you know that I have both have a good memory, and sometimes that memory is very scattered. Or I remember weird details about all kinds of things, 
but if you ask me to go pick up something at the store, I'll bring about, back everything except the thing I was sent for. This is not what this is talking about. For a God who is all-knowing, that kind of forgetfulness is impossible. So in, in, in the Old Testament, it's not cognitive. It's, it's to, to remember someone is to act positively towards someone. To forget someone is the opposite. To turn, to withhold help, to withhold comfort. And so this is how David feels. He feels like God is ignoring him on purpose. And he wonders, how long is this going to last? And he asked, and that last word, is it going to last forever? Will this ever end? You know, if we think about this as the time when David is receiving the consequences of his sin, David is, is saying this in a time, in, in such a way that he's saying, okay, God, I got the point. You're punishing me for my sin. I feel like this is supposed to have ended by now. It doesn't have to be that because of sin, though. We can feel, have this feeling of abandonment, my God. We feel like, okay, what if, if any part of this was legitimate, we passed that line long ago. Like, I'm getting ready to make a drive to Nashville after church today to go to a worship conference, and I'm going to pass a lot of exits on the freeway. I really hope I don't miss the one I'm supposed to go, like, but like saying, hey, this is where we were supposed to get off this, this road of your forgetfulness, God, and we're still here. What's going on? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is sort of the same idea. Like, that was the first one was time. This is about how you hide your face. Like a child, when a child doesn't want to be confronted with something wrong that they have done, what do they do? Like hide their face. A child hides their face from a parent when they don't want to deal with them. But this is, and this is, he's like, this is what he feels like God is doing. It feels like God's withholding his presence. He keeps going. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? So this counsel in my soul. How, much, how long am I going to feel like I am the only resource that I have? How long am I going to worry about all of this, experience this doubt, have this sorrow and it's sorrow that doesn't lift. It lasts all day. Like sometimes we have these moments where, you know, we have moments that are good, moments that are bad. He's experienced a time when it's all bad. You ever have times like that? This is the questions that he's asking. He's asking hard questions of God. Will my sorrow ever end? And because David has been anointed as king and he's feels like he's losing battles. You know, in both those instances, Saul is, at periods of time, seems like he's having victory over David. Sometimes Absalom looks like he's having victory over David. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David knew that he was the one that God had appointed to be as king, anointed and when his enemies are exalted, that means that God's anointed is not in the place that he should be. 
We don't, we're not in that position. But as those who are God's people, we, when we feel like God's enemies are winning, that puts us in a dark place, doesn't it? So we can be honest with God. It is legitimate to express our pain, our sorrow, and our questions to God. Second part, we can cry out to God. He's really there. David moves from these questions to making a direct request of God. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. He actually expects God to do something when he asks this question. He's moved from like, how long is this stuff going to last? With like, no, God, you need to hear me. He knows that God has the capacity to do something. So he says, God, consider and answer me. And then he gives some reasons why it is right for God to act on his behalf. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So this light up my eyes is, is a picture of bring life back to my eyes. Bring the the joy of life, and also just health back to my face. So it looks like I'm about to die. Sleep the sleep of death. Your eyes droop. There is something that goes missing in someone's face, in their eyes, when they're about to pass away. And David says, light up my eyes, God. I'm dying here. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Like I said, for, for David as God's anointed king, for his enemies to triumph over him, he's saying, God, that makes you look bad. That doesn't just make me look bad, that makes you look bad. It's an interesting way for us to think, because like, it really doesn't work for us that way. But David, as the king, is saying, God, you, you anointed me as king. You, you, you're the one who has to make this happen. And if you don't, what does that say about the God of Israel? But there is a little bit of this idea that a God who cares about his people that is recognizable in his in action is recognizable in their lives in us, in our lives when, when God acts on our behalf that shows up and sometimes we have some really wrong ideas about what that will look like sometimes we think that means we're going to be wealthy sometimes we think that means that we're going to experience great prosperity, like all our business decisions are going to go well, all, um, that our, we'll never get sick. That's not what it's talking about. There's this move that happens in this text that is a move I think we have to make if we're going to deal with those feelings of abandonment well. And it's a move that David makes. 
We can, we can doubt and have distress in a way that we lean away from God. But we can have doubt and despair, distress in a way that makes us lean into God. To trust him. And that's what David does here. So we can be honest with God. We can cry out to God. Because we can trust God. He is trustworthy. David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. That word that's steadfast love, there we go. Steadfast love is this, is this word that is repeated throughout the Old Testament. It's a word, chesed. Let me try that with a mouth that's got some liquid in it. Chesed, yeah, there we go. You got to get the, if you're not spraying somebody, you didn't say it right. Uh, it's a Hebrew word that is talking about covenant love. Throughout the Old Testament, God made covenants with his people. There, where God promised to behave a certain way towards his people, whether it's Abraham or it's Moses and the people of Israel or it's David and the king. And there, there are certain responsibilities that they have. And because they're human, all of them broken. But God always keeps his side of a covenant. God always keeps his promises. He does not fail. And so David is saying, I have trusted in your love that is on the basis of that relationship that you established with your covenants. And David's had a covenant made with him that one of his descendants will always be on the throne. And David leans on this love of God that is on the basis of his relationship with David on the basis of his relationship with his people. I have trusted in your steadfast love, your unfailing love, your loving kindness. All those are different ways that different translations translate that word. But it's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's love that's on the basis of who God is and who his people are in relation to him. There's a special love that that we have for different people in our lives, right? There's a love that I have for my wife that is on the basis of that relationship, right? There's a love that I have for my kids that is because of that relationship. Apart from any particular circumstances of day, the day-to-day, there's a love I have for my wife, there's a love I have for my children that is just because they're my wife and kids. There's a love that God has for his people just because they're his people. And David is leaning into that. We can rely on God's love. He doesn't fail to love those he's promised to love. It's it's an essential part of God's character. He doesn't fail. We, We sometimes forget this. We expect God's love to be like our love because, you know, that love I'm talking about, I don't do that perfectly. 
any of you guys have met me and my wife, you know that we, especially setting up for VBS, we had some interesting discussions about decorating things. Um, you know, like, we, we do this imperfectly, but God does it perfectly. Um, and we see throughout the New Testament, one of the just amazing things that happens is that God's covenant love for his people, the people of Israel, through Jesus gets extended to the rest of us too. To where we experience the love of God in this promise-keeping way because of Jesus. So we can, we can trust in God's steadfast love. We can trust God. And then finally, we can rejoice. So there's this movement that has happened in this passage, right? We've moved from David going... God, are you going to forget me forever? Almost accusing God to crying out to God for help. To saying, I'm going to trust you. And now he's not just talking about, I'm going to trust you, but to be sad about it. I'm going to rejoice. How in the world can we rejoice in pain? When our, it, because our joy doesn't have to be based on our immediate circumstances. It can be based on the character of God. It can be based on the amazing works that he has done on our behalf. And that's where David gets to in this passage. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He looks forward to rejoice in when God acts on his behalf. He doesn't feel it right now, but he knows that God will act in the future. Sometimes God's action doesn't change our present very quickly, does it? But I think David is saying... My heart shall rejoice in your, your rescue is coming. For, the, for David, the coming of Jesus is something that's entirely future. He doesn't even dream of what that looks like. For those of us who are living in our time, we can look back on the cross and see how that love of God is demonstrated in his son. My heart shall rejoice and your salvation. God, we know that God works in our future because he's worked in our past. And what God has done in the past makes our future certain and hopeful. The story of the, the scriptures is the story of something good gone horribly wrong redeemed, restored. When Jesus comes back to make everything right again. David, look forward to this day. And he says in this 
this last verse and where I think it, it leads us today is the same place it leads, it led David. That joy moves us to sing. <laughs> you had to know I was going to go there, right? Worship guy. Um, I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because I feel good? Because I woke up on the right side of the bed this morning? No. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even when we're in the depths, even when we are abandoned, feel like we're abandoned by God, like we're falling without a parachute, when we feel like we are lost, we can trust God. We can have joy because of what he has done in the past and what he promises to do in the future. We can have joy. We can sing because the gospel is true. Because the good news is really good news. And it's really true. So we see this movement from deep pain. We see that we can be honest with God. We can cry out to God. And we can move towards trust. We can, in spite of those doubts, by the way, life without doubt, kind of impossible. So, <laughs> um, there are always things that we don't know, things that we don't understand. That's what faith is. It's leaning into God even when we don't understand everything. We can trust God, and we can rejoice. We can even sing. <laughs> because God's action on our behalf, as we look back towards the cross, gives us hope for the future, even as we experience deep, deep pain in the here and now. There's a quote that I'm not sure who really said it. I heard it from Howard Hendricks. But um, it's, don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Um, and that is that we need to remember what's true. Even when we have circumstances in our life that are helping us not see reality. So what I want you to do, you have notes, right? The back side of those should be blank, right? Or maybe you, took, maybe you sent notes to your neighbor on it. But um, when you have some time, maybe even right now, start making a list. Some of the ways that God has dealt bountifully with you. Think of some of the ways that the Bible talks about it. Think about your salvation, what that might look like in the ways that we, what that, what that might, um, some ways that you might say that God has acted on your behalf. But then also think about circumstances too, right? Some of, most of us have things in our life that we can say, I, I can't believe God did that, and it was amazing. Um, 
And, and, and keep that list, maybe not on that piece of paper, but to remember when, when things seem dark. To remember what's true. Um, we're going to sing that song, Do It Again, Again. Um, but it says, I've seen you move, and I believe that I will see you do it again. Um, let's pray, and then we'll sing that together. Gracious God, we love you. Thank you for your care for us. Thank you for this psalm that walks us through how we can move from doubt and despair, feelings of abandonment and distance, and move towards trust and joy. We pray that you would be with us, those of us especially who are walking through those dark moments right now. or even those in our church community who, for whom walking through those moments right now mean, meant that they couldn't bring themselves to be here today. Um, help us remember your salvation. Help us remember your steadfast love towards us. Help us to rejoice in your salvation. For you have dealt bountifully with us. We love you. We pray in your son's beautiful name, by your spirit. Amen.